Thank you for choosing Tox News, your one and only source to uh, toxicity detoxified. Wow, that didn't really come out of the brain correctly, but the show goes on. The Society of Spectacle continues. Today we got a couple of segments. We do have a Militia Weekly Update from Militia Watch this week, so that's good. We have a segment from Hannity featuring Ted Cruz on how today's Democratic Party doesn't care about the American worker. And that may be true in some ways, but we'll get into that. And then we have Matt Walsh of The Daily Wire telling us how cowardly, shameless teachers' unions are holding our children's education hostage. Uh, pretty one-sided view on that, as we'll get into. And then I have, like, a little tiny, like, off-brand channel here. It's called Unite America First. Um, and I'm not gonna get into the whole segment of it, because it's, like, an hour long. But, uh, the title of the video is called Leftists Are With the Evil One in the Spiritual Battle. So even though Fox News and uh, Daily Wire may scrap together these mainstream media with some fringe elements, I thought it would be more interesting to actually go into the fringe that scrapes together a little bit of mainstream media. So that's the plan of the program. Which must mean that the music has to fade into the abyss of tomorrow, or I guess till the end of the episode. And we begin now with the weekly update from Militia Watch, militia.watch, not .com, but .watch. And uh, yeah, it comes uh, a little bit, I think the last one was the 21st. This is the 25th of the weekly updates. Normally, they usually drop on Mondays, and I cover them on the Monday episode, but they've been coming out on Tuesdays lately, so I'm covering them on the Wednesday. Ah, But follow Militia Watch on Twitter, uh, and go to their website, militia.watch, for more in-depth uh, coverage. So, what are we getting into this week? This week, several key developments get covered in this weekly update. We've got four bulletin points, and the first one begins J6, January 6, conspiracy charges for Oath Keepers. Oath Keepers being a right-wing militia group. Uh, Boogaloo, this is the second point, Boogaloo call to action sees low engagement. Ooh. Uh, third, third point here is an inauguration marked by militia stand-down orders. Hmm. Interesting. And the fourth bulletin point, further links between Michigan militia and local GOP emerge. A, if you go to um, my Twitter, I recently followed a story that came from Colorado Recorder Times about uh, Lauren Boebert, who's a representative of Colorado. Um, she's like the representative of Gun Girl. She's, very, she's so Second Amendment that she has to carry it with her on Congress floor. Um, the, the fascinating thing here is that there was, a, a a representative in Congress who said that they saw Lauren Boebert giving tours the day before the J6 insurrection. Um, and then we had this, yeah, it, it was first reported by Colorado, uh, recorder t or Colorado times recorder, but we also got it national news salon that a, uh, biker group boots on the ground 
Bikers for Trump, uh, gave Lauren Bobert, Lauren, Bo- sorry, Lauren Bobert, a very customized Glock 18. It's got the American flag on it. I think it has the United States seal, the congressional seal on it, which apparently makes it illegal. Um, and her name on the clips. So uh, Lauren Boebert getting gifts directly from Trump supporters. Not quite sure about the boots on the ground for uh, boots on the ground bikers for Trump. I hadn't seen like too much information on them. Their Facebook had gotten brought down once, but um, I wouldn't really consider them anything of the militia groups. You know, they're probably closer to Proud Boys with even with an even smaller amount of members in them. So uh, I just found that interesting. Uh, she's a QAnon conspiracy theorist, uh, proudly so. And she got weapons, uh, a customized gifted Glock by a Trump-supporting group. And that's when I found this following article here that Bobert, uh, from the Colorado Times recorder, Bobert claimed not to know anti-government extremists she's posed with, but photos show otherwise. And she has photos basically going back in time. And... Um, the gentleman who's in a lot of these pictures, uh, let's see, Corey Anderson, who is the leader of Bikers for Trump, uh, and also an avowed three percenter, so he's he's dabbling a little bit of both, uh, probably for optics reasons. But uh, he posted pictures saying how he loves uh, Lauren Boebert, so she's got pretty close ties to some fringe groups going on, and I don't think that this is like some kind of freak phenomenon. I it's probably going to be a pattern that's growing. Um, not, I don't. I don't know how much under Trump now that Trump's like been completely, you know, kind of ostracized and thrown into the fringe of the right wing talking sphere. But it's a developing story, and we'll see how everybody kind of reacts to Bobert doing that. All righty. I just thought that was interesting. So we continue on marching on through the militia watch. It says further updates on J6 uprising. The FBI made charges of conspiracy against three Oath Keepers among those who stormed the U.S. Capitol building on January 6th. These federal charges were levied against Thomas Edward Caldwell, Jessica Watkins, and Donovan Ray Crowell. Caldwell allegedly said he wanted to trap lawmakers in the building and, quote, turn on gas, unquote. Watkins was quoted in the Guardian piece on Zello, on Zello use at the Capitol. Not 100% sure on what Zello is, so if you want to see what Zello use was at the Capitol, I don't know, Google it. Uh, the FBI said that the Oath Keepers planned the attack as a group. Ah, One of the arrests also apparently had instructions on how to make explosives out of bleach in her home. Other arrests this past week include a Proud Boys member and an Army uh, reservist. Um... An arrestee's wife told the FBI that he threatened his children against turning him into the authorities, allegedly saying to them, quote, traitors get shot, unquote. So fascist elements peeking through. Uh, contrary to statements made by Capitol Police, days after the incident, an intelligence report warned three days prior to the gathering that Congress itself could be targeted by protests on the January of 6th. 6th of January. It's yeah, like the internet knew, and most people who were watching militias on the internet knew. And um, we all knew that the protest was going to be gathering. I think the one thing that a lot of like viewers on the internet didn't anticipate was for the uh, police and the National Guard to be so unprepared. Um, so, 
And in weird weekly trivia, Kroger also removed an Oath Keepers group from their rewards donation program. The program allows for customers, uh, customer directed giving towards thousands of F01C3s, of which the Oath Keepers were one. Uh, hmm, allows for customer directed giving. All right, well, so basically, Kroger is cutting ties with Oath Keepers, which I guess any customer can have, but as long as you're not an Oath Keeper. So, seventeenth uh, through the twentieth of January, Boogaloo gatherings and inauguration of Biden. A Boogaloo call to action for the seventeenth of January appears to have prompted only small showings in some states. Those that saw some Boogaloo appearances on the seventeenth of January were Lansing, Michigan, Concord, New Hampshire, Columbus, Ohio, Salem, Oregon, and Austin, Texas. An event at a sixth capital in Atlanta was also held on the 17th, but only two people showed up, and it's unclear if they were actually Boogaloo. On the 18th of January, the VCDL Lobby Day events led to multiple armed groups wandering around Richmond, Virginia, ranging from Proud Boys to Boogaloo groups, and more. The VCDL caravan drove into and through Richmond with much lower numbers than their mass gatherings of around 25,000 last year. The inauguration of Biden, seen as a potential flashpoint for militias and other related groups, was taken extremely seriously by the security apparatus of the United States government, which sent over 10,000 National Guard troops to lock down the U.S. Capitol. Among these troops, 12 were removed from security for their ties to right-wing militia groups. Some militia commanders called for a mass stand-down on the 20th given the overwhelming response and the need for public relations work by the groups. <laughs> we need to do some more PR. Uh, Norman Olson of the Michigan Militia also made this point clear. Stuart Rhodes of the Oath Keepers, however, made comments to his members to prepare for violence against the, quote, illegitimate, unquote, administration of Biden. So, there's a nice little, little update. Uh, it seems like they're still very disorganized and quite unprepared for any real attempt at insurrection, but that doesn't mean that, like, over time they will become more competent and capable. But it's good to watch them now, now that it's early on. Uh, Michigan updates. In the news this past week is that Michigan GOP Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky also apparently met with militia groups. Hey, so he's not the only one. Lauren Boebert isn't the only one. Hey, more can be read on that here. Also, informant members of the militia helped the FBI crack the alleged kidnapping plot. So, all right. So they've infiltrated the government, and the government has also infiltrated them, basically playing a game of cat and mouse. That is how we ha handle militias in the United States. So that has been the brief Militia Watch update from Militia.Watch. Go check it out. Follow them on Twitter. They do good work. Uh, like it said here, there's some further re readings if you want to get to that as well, such as uh, how Michigan GOP Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky uh, also apparently met with militia groups. You have on social media and misinformation driving militia groups. You have on QAnon and Joe Biden's policy driving militia groups and on U.S. militia groups and the Capitol riot. Highly recommended reads. Go check them out. Militia.watch. Now, we get into uh, Sean Hannity featuring uh, Ted Cruz for this absolute banger called Today's Democratic Party Doesn't Care About the American Worker. 
All right, now the Democrats' divisive, partisan, unconstitutional post-presidency impeachment trial charade is getting a... Holy fuck. What a boggle jumble of fucking rhetoric propaganda that was. And we're 10 seconds in. I'm going to have to rewind this bitch to try and get even some of that. Holy crap. What a fucking scrabble game of Sean Hannity playing by himself. Wow, dude, that is wow. That that was a carousel of fucking rhetoric. Oh wow, let's get it again. Rewind selector. All right, now the Democrats' divisive, partisan, un divisive, partisan, unconstitutional, constitutional post presidency, post presidency impeachment trial impeachment charade trial is getting charade. a heavy dose of reality tonight. <laughs> it's done. It's over. As earlier today, Professor. Before you had even a chance to think about what he was talking about, he's filling your head with adjectives to describe what the fuck is going on. That is amazing. That is amazing. The thing that I love about right-wing media is it's so obvious that they aren't here to bring any objective view to news whatsoever. It is It has nothing to do with being objective or just stating the facts, but purely sole purpose to tell you what to think about what's happening like it's just so obvious that they they like they they're there like an ad lib book to just fill in all those blanks for you in case you don't know all the nouns adjectives verbs adverbs and all of that junk don't worry sean hannity's here for 15 seconds of just scrabbling propaganda and rhetoric together just to fill your brain with nonsense oh my god 15 seconds into this bitch Whew. He's a pro. He's a pro. Professor Jonathan Turley, Democrat, met with the Republican senators discussing the trial. And of course, 45 GOP senators voted against moving forward with this obvious sham. Meanwhile, Senator Ted Cruz is leading a group of Republicans who are proposing a two-term limit for senators and three-term limit for House members. As, by the way, that comes as Senator Cruz was attacked by actor Seth Rogen. Who's he kidding on Twitter and repeatedly calling him a fascist and numerous profanity laced tweets as if anyone gives a rip. Senator. <laughs> and then the wholesomeness of a Fox News response like who gives a rip? Like, come on, man. Like, you, like they honestly could have just reported it, you know, objectively that way. But it's also kind of like part of the right wing to be like, you're a celebrity. We don't care what you think. Just dance, monkey. So, like, I don't know. That's, of course, like, he found a way to fit that in there as well, rather than just being like, Seth Rogen had some ad hominem attacks against, uh, or not even attacks, ad hominem tweets. Like, an attack, like, a tweet shouldn't be considered an attack. It's it's a tweet. So it's... it's 240 characters or less chill the fuck out but um yeah seth rogan went on twitter to call uh senator ted cruz a fascist and then he told him to fuck off fascist and you know uh i i feel where he's coming from i really do mainly because ted cruz can constantly perpetuates lies in the name of like donald trump or uh, i'm not even sure the republican party at this point because he actually spent his uh like the past three months uh, churning and helping the narrative that this election was illegitimate or rigged. And so uh, he, he decided to go with Trump loyalty rather than any loyalty specifically to the Republican Party, who Mitch McConnell said, let's get over it. This was a legitimate election. Trump tried as much as he could and he failed. 
uh, Ted Cruz said, well, the story's not done yet. As long as we keep perpetuating this idea, we can get people on the fact that this this system has no integrity. And, I mean, that's like a perfect little bubble space for fascists to grow their, their little fascies, you know? Because if they feel disaffected, disenfranchised, and completely disconnected from a government that's gone completely corrupt, all they really need to do is have a charismatic, like, uh, I don't know, guy with a mustache, let's say, come in and say, hey, I've got the solution to this, and it's the final one. And a lot of them might be really into it, especially if they're super fervent in nationalism or traditionalism or exceptionalism. So Ted Cruz does contribute to the the uh, the climate of fascism that, or at least authoritarianism, neo-fascism in the United States, if you will. So he at least contributes to the building blocks of it. So, um, but that's not how Sean Hannity sees Ted Cruz, and I'm. I don't know how Ted Cruz sees himself. I honestly think that, like, once he gets home, he removes his skin and is just this black sludge that looks like a symbiote from uh, Spider-Man, and he just, like, crawls into this little, like, cryogenic tank, and it shuts him down, and he just sleeps in there at, like, below freezing temperatures. And every day he comes back out, oozes back into his fake suit body, and then goes out and spreads fascist propaganda. Too much? Might have been too much. Ted Cruz joins us now for reaction. Uh, Senator, who cares? Badge of honor. Congratulations. And it's also amazing, like, how much work beards can do for men, right? For a lot of men, the beard is almost everything. For Ted Cruz, shave the fucking thing. That, that, it don't look right. It looks like it's thinning, and it looks like it might have cancer. All right? And it's, it's a little crooked in certain places. I don't grow a beard for a reason. So should Ted Cruz. Um, I got to give you a lot of credit. Now, it's amazing that all you and Josh Hawley were asking was for an audit. The guy that carried the impeachment papers leading the effort challenged the 2016 election. Did they not realize their pure hypocrisy on display here, Senator? See, and the thing about the right wing, too, is that, like, the story has now become, like, pointing out democratic hypocrisies. Oh, they did this in 2016. Oh, they did this in 2011. The thing that's about that is we're missing context. Context is pretty important to almost everything. So when you don't provide context to a uh, uh, an objection, an election, or an impeachment trial, you're saying that these two things are equivalent, the Trump impeachment and the Bill Clinton, let's say, the Bill Clinton impeachment, are similar because they're impeachments. But then that's just really surface level looking at it and just kind of, you know, it lets the facts be malleable, you know, for Fox News and Ted Cruz to have an easier conversation that isn't necessarily solely based in reality. But that's a problem. You, you got to give broader context to each and every situation and scenario to understand the circumstance and situation going on. Otherwise, you're just working in this vacuum that is America where things pop in and out. And like, oh, that's similar, but not quite. Oh, that's similar, but not quite. And you just keep moving on and on as if none of these events are connected and we're not in a broader web of the universe. Like, whatever. That's, I'm getting too, too big here. All right. But just want to highlight here, you can't compete, compare same events wholeheartedly if the context is different. 
Well, Sean, it's great to be with you this evening. Uh, you were right that the Democrats are demonstrating a lot of hypocrisy right now. They're demonstrating anger and rage. You know, last week I was sitting uh, out on uh, out of the back of the Capitol and, and I listened to Joe Biden give his inauguration speech. And I actually thought it was a good speech. I was glad to hear him make a call for unity to say the country should come together. But unfortunately, congressional Democrats apparently weren't listening to a word he said because the very first step they took after hearing an impassioned plea for unity is to charge down the road of a partisan, divisive, angry impeachment trial. And this is not driven by the needs of the country. This is not driven by trying to help out the people who are hurting back home. This is driven really by the partisan rage and the partisan anger the Democrats feel. They hate Donald J. Trump and, and, and they're engaging in so, the, like, Ted Cruz is creating all of these reasons now that have absolutely nothing to do with the impeachment. And, like, Ted Cruz is one of these people who has to be held accountable for spreading misinformation and also kind of maybe possibly, you know, a little helping to incite the riots of January 6th. He perpetuated the story so much without any evidence. He's almost complicit with the Trump, like, campaign. Come on. So, like, and obviously, with him creating all of these reasons why Democrats are doing it, them being more vindictive, sociopathic narcissists, completely eliminates any thought in the mind that it has to do with accountability. That people have to face consequences for their actions. And that includes Ted Cruz. So, him being the, the correspondent of this, uh, this segment is uh paramount to him building his own defense and it it's just convenient it's just convenient it it like if i i doubt anybody who actually watches fox news can take in an entire day of cms uh c what, what msnbc jesus cnn i don't watch any of it but the thing is though is that i'm still well aware that this has to deal with accountability and that means that trump and I agree with the establishment Democrats and the progressives here at this point. Trump should not be able to hold office ever again. He's a liar. He's corrupt. And he's bad. Not because he's orange. Orange man is, in fact, bad. But it is because of his actions. And me personally, and I'm not alone, would like to see some fucking accountability happen in this country once for someone who is in a position of power. That's what it's about. It, it, it's not about my own vengeance. Even though I wish Trump had not had William Barr cover up the the Russia investigations for him. Even though I wish that there was a stronger case built for the Ukrainian phone call that he had and he could have got impeached back in 2020. But I think his incitement to riot and his spread of disinformation from the beginning of the pandemic throughout the election should completely disqualify him from holding an office of officiality and authority ever again. And I hope that we can move it towards holding Ted Cruz accountable as well, because he spreads this disinformation just as much. Now, this comes from the same idea that like uh, AOC wants to create like this commission, this long list of people who's done it. And I don't think we necessarily need to do that. We just need to start introducing some articles of impeachment to these people holding trials and if they get convicted they get convicted it's not a criminal trial they're not going to go to jail they're just going to be barred from holding office that holds incredible amounts of responsibility an act that i think is petty i think it is retribution i think it is vindictive and i think it's a waste of time and and, and so to coin a phrase i think it's time to move on
It's time to move on and focus on helping people get back to work. Help how, how often, and I think I've seen this brought up through the internets, but how often do Republicans bring up Benghazi and Hillary Clinton? How often? Just put it put it out there. Just how often? Because that, that happened back in, like, what, 2013? And it's still, like, kind of a thing in our mind in the back? So it's it's very funny. It's very funny. And then when they get like things like the election not pulling up any evidence, they don't say let's move on. When they find that the Hunter Biden uh, supposed corruption with China finds no evidence, they don't say move on. But when there's an actual worry of right wing insurrection in furtherance of political violence, guys, let's just move on. Holy helping people beat this global pandemic, bringing America back to where we should be, not these partisan games the Democrats are playing. All right, impeachment is over. I mean, my favorite part of the Republicans too is like you ask them, well, how do we beat the pandemic? They're like, reopen the economy. What, how, what, okay. Because no way 45 senators that say it's unconstitutional could turn around and say, oh, okay. But there's important, principles in play here. Why would people legitimize, validate the House's snap impeachment? One. Number two, if we're going to, we're not going to, uh, if we're now going to. There's, there's two things a part of this impeachment. And so the unprecedented of Trump's impeachment is that he is out of office as we are speaking. He wasn't out of office when they introduced the articles of impeachment uh, in the House and it passed. He wasn't out of office then. But the act of initiating the impeachment was while he was in office, but they're not going for removing him from office, which is one stipulation, a part of impeachment. The other is revoking their ability to hold office. And I cannot stress this enough because they're not even bringing that up, but they will bring it up in certain segments at certain times to say, this is the vindictive act. They're so afraid of Trump. They don't want him to hold office. And it's like, no, he's so irresponsible. It should not be allowed to give him power to use that standard. Let's apply it to Schumer, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, Maxine Waters, and Nancy Pelosi. Let's start there. Thirdly, there is something that's called the Constitution. Never mind, there was no due process, no investigation, no defense, no opportunity. Now we're learning that- That's not how introducing articles in the House works. And also due process is part of the, what, Fourth Amendment? Like four through six? And that has to deal with fucking criminal courts, Hannity. Know your constitution. That's criminal cases, man. Come on. There's a, there's a whole subsection. Amendment 25 on how it goes through the Senate. Come on, man. Don't bring up the constitution when you haven't read it. That a lot of this apparently, according to court documents, Washington Post, fake news, CNN, was pre-planned, Senator. Well, don't we need the equivalent of a 9-11 report to make sure this never happens again, ever, ever, ever? Well, let me, let me take those one at a time. Uh, you were right that what the House did in this so-called impeachment doesn't meet the constitutional standard. They didn't pretend to follow due process. They didn't. Again, due process has nothing to do with it. And all the House had to do was introduce the articles of impeachment and pass it with two thirds vote. And guess what? That happened. That's all they have to do. And it happened. He's lying. He's lying. And that's why he gets called a fascist.
have hearings. They didn't pretend to look at any facts or any evidence. This was... That's for the Senate trials, which has not happened yet. Holy God, he doesn't even know how the Constitution works or how impeachment works, or he's just playing ignorance because that's what helps the political agenda, which I don't know is worse. Willful ignorance or actual dumb idiot ignorance. I really don't know what's worse because willful ignorance means you're doing that shit on purpose. It was an exercise of political rage. It, it, it was their id speaking. They hate Donald Trump. For anyone who hadn't been paying attention, they made it very, very clear. And look, these are the same. Highlighting Trump's authoritarian aspects, criticizing Trump is not hating Trump. But that's that's what they do. They build the idea that this is all because they hate Trump. And then later in a different segment, because they hate Trump, they hate you. Same Democrats who four years ago in 2017, actually in December of 2016, before Trump was sworn in, said they wanted to impeach him. They've wanted to impeach him from the beginning. They did it a year ago. I, I feel like I'm kind of trapped in Groundhog Day, where apparently every January we're going to be doing another impeachment. So I guess next year, I don't know, maybe it'll be the impeachment of Jimmy Carter or the impeachment of Bill Clinton or the impeachment of Barack Obama, because that's what we do in Januaries. But this was not driven by facts. It was not driven by the evidence. It was driven instead by extreme partisanship. And, and I don't think that's what the American people want. Anyone who looks at the November election, it was not a mandate. So if they don't want extreme partisanship, why did he back the unfounded claims that the 2020 elections were rigged, that it's an illegitimate win? Why would he back that narrative if Americans don't want extreme partisanship? His partisanship is so extreme that he's loyal to one guy, Trump. For the left to go crazy, hard, and extreme. And, and the problem, Sean, right now, the people driving the train in the Joe Biden administration. Please, from here on out, be weary of people who say that accountability is extremism. Be weary of those people. And the Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi uh, Congress are the extreme left. The first week in office, what has <laughs> Joe Biden done? He signed an executive order ending the Keystone Pipeline, destroying 11,000 jobs, 8,000 union jobs with a stroke of a pen. He said, your jobs don't matter. What else have they done? I'll tell you this first week, it has been quite dismay. I mean, is it really Joe Biden's fault if the Keystone XL pipeline has been this giant litigation like uh, disaster? Like it's been in court so much and it's lost a significant amount of court battles as well. But on top of it, back in October, it already leaked 300,000 gallons of oil, of tar sand oil, just decimating land. So, um... Yeah, if environmentalism is now considered extremism, can you imagine what side Republicans are on the political spectrum at this point? If caring for the environment is extremism. And that's the thing, too, is that they always bring up these jobs. And the, the, the 8,000 jobs would have been, even, even though they were union jobs, which doesn't necessarily mean really anything, um they they were they would have been temporary so it's not even a sustainable workforce they would have had 50 people remaining on uh on 
permanent jobs, which I think even eventually it was still going to reach to a number of 35, where most of the jobs are not most, but some of the jobs would have been in Canada. So like sustainably keeping jobs, this, this pipeline wouldn't have done it. Now, you know what actually would is if we actually move forward with the Green New Deal completely um, restructuring our, uh, our energy infrastructure, since like we literally have to build it from the ground up at this point, which means that those jobs would probably last longer than the four to eight month period that it would take to build the Keystone XL pipeline. We would have longer jobs if we moved into radical change with how we produce energy. So, um, I kind of blame Keyst or TC Energy for being so antiquated with how they uh, uh, generate their profits by focusing on tar sands rather than looking to the future, which would create jobs for the next 10 to 20 years rather than four to eight months. Seeing Biden nominee after Biden nominee get cozy with China. Explain how I've asked multiple nominees. Will you commit to maintaining the entities list that sanctions com uh, companies in China that are using their technology to repress and oppress one million Uyghurs to commit horrific human rights violations oh, and, yes. and not a single one of those Biden nominees. Do not pretend to care about the Uyghur Muslims when you obviously supported the FEMA money going to the border wall and the child separation policies and like everything going on at the southern border. America honestly has very little to stand on when it comes to human rights when we continue our abuses at the southern border who his party is fervently backing and doesn't like that that Biden just ended the construction of the border wall, doesn't like that uh, Biden just uh, supported DACA, doesn't like that uh, Biden supports uh, ending the zero tolerance policy. So please do not pretend to care about minorities in other countries when you could give two shits about the ones here. We'll make that commitment. I think they are preparing to get in bed with China and, and that's an extreme agenda. That's not what the American people want. Senator, we got by, you know, you know, with the stroke of a pen, an executive fiat, we got, let's see, we're back in the climate, Paris Climate Agreement where, oh, China is a developing nation. We're not. Uh, what does then, that have of course, to do with anything? We got, uh, what does that have to do with anything? And then on top of it, when it comes to the Paris Climate Accords, the fact that we have to, like, limit our carbon emissions... Like, it, we may not be, like, a completely infrastructurally developing nation, but when it comes to renewable energy, sustainable energy, we are developing still. And we're doing a shit job at it. Like, China's going to end up beating us out of it, and then we're going to have a ton of oil that we can't sell to them. And as more countries continue to move into that sustainable, renewable energy, we will have more barrels to keep into the storage and less to sell, which ultimately will hurt our economy. Fuck you guys. You know, the end of the Keystone uh, XL pipeline. Now the wall building is yep. going to stop. Uh, entire industries wiped out with that stroke of a pen, Senator. Entire industries yep. interviewed a guy last night, got into more detail on radio today. He's got three kids. Uh, they're making over 100 grand a year. Uh, where's he going to replace that job with 11 million plus uh uh, Americans getting amnesty during the middle of a pandemic. How's he going to replace that $100,000 a year job? It's amazing how unclear all of that Sean Hannity was talking about. We don't know the guy he's talking about. He's claiming that industries have been killed without any industry being killed. There were jobs that were ended because the Keystone XL pipelines construction has been halted. 
dismantled, done with. Um, so am I supposed to assume that the guy who's no longer earning $100,000 a year was a part of the construction job for that? Could he have been more specific exactly? Uh, probably, but he didn't. It was an anecdotal case that only really moves this whole segment forward rather than actually like providing substance into it. Um, and if it was on his radio show, why wouldn't he play the clip? Um, so, uh, yeah, I like, again, like saying that we're losing the oil industry is like going back into the 1900s and saying that we're losing the horse industry. The times are changing and it's up to the government and also the companies who are a part of this massive change to actually help workers move throughout the job market and not just throw them by the wayside because you're no longer making oil. So um, the people who are in positions of power are obviously just pushing their responsibility onto Biden as if he's like the all God of the job market when that's just not the case. Sean, you're exactly right. What the Democrats are making clear is that today's Democratic Party is the party of Hollywood celebrities. It's, it's the party of big tech billionaires. It's the party of the incredibly wealthy coastal elites but if you're actually a working person, it could be. But the Republican Party is the party of the guns manufacturers, the military complex, the private prison industry, Wall Street, banks. Uh, did I say oil already? Fracking, natural gas. Uh, so, like, it may not be the coastal elites, but the Republican Party has their own elites to protect the industries that may do more harm to civil and human environmental rights than the Democratic Party may be doing. Um, I don't agree with most of the, the, the people that he named, uh, because a lot of them seem to be detached from the plight of the working class, but uh, Republicans aren't connected. They, 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 they don't care. And the only reason why they pretend to care is to make Democrats look bad. It's all the same. Like, the Democrats do the same exact thing, all part of political theater, so that they can keep moving people left and right in between their small, myopic political spectrum. When here at Tox News, we're hopefully taking you a little bit further into better solutions and better answers. Um, not, let's just keep moving with the status quo. In this country, if you're a union member, if you're blue collar, if you've got calluses on your hands, if you're a cop or a firefighter or a waiter or a waitress or a construction worker, this Democratic Party doesn't care about you. And there's an irony. I mean, I mean, it wasn't too long ago. You and I are both old enough to remember when the Democratic Party was the party of FDR, where union members considered considered FDR our president. But today's Democratic Party has said they don't care about your jobs. And in fact, the defense of the extreme left, let's take Keystone Pipeline, 11,000 jobs eliminated, 8,000 union jobs. Here's what the left says and the media says. Well, those were just temporary jobs, so they don't matter. Those were construction jobs and construction jobs matter. And we ought to be fighting for jobs in this country. We ought to be. See, and if they're construction jobs, those are much easier to move throughout the job market, especially if we need to build the infrastructure for a sustainable, renewable energy. So he's not really fighting here for a better solution. He's just saying that the Keystone XL pipeline should continue to be built. And if it spills oil, environment be damned. We got jobs. Defending the ability of families to provide for themselves. You know, I I've always said term limits, a bad idea is time has come. I think I agree with you, but I think it's a bad idea whose time has come. All right, Senator, thank you. Good to see you. When we I mean, if the term limits come through and it gets Ted Cruz out of office, I'm all here for it, honestly. 
Um, but like the thing is that we really suffer from uh, this system is that we do have mostly uh, people with the wrong priorities in the positions of power, and that's why we keep going down the same fucking rabbit holes we've been down for hundreds of years at this point. So um, I... I don't think reforming it in the democratic socialists, I think putting more democratic socialists will actually help, you know, working class people through incremental changes. I don't think it's quite enough, but, um, you know, at, at, at least they're willing to look towards the future of what is going to help rather than just being like, well, if we keep doing what we're doing, we'll generate money. <laughs> God. Oh boy. All right. So, you know, Ted Cruz brought up uh, unions and how important unions are, right? Uh, he didn't really say how important unions are. He was just using that word because people are supposed to feel sympathetic towards workers' unions rather than just workers in general. Um, so, uh, Or he's just trying to highlight the hypocrisy, even though Democrats aren't really great with unions. Mm -mm. No, no, no. Communist parties and socialist parties have been much more favorable to unions than the establishment Democrats. But moving on, we have Matt Walsh of the Daily Wire perspective saying cowardly, shameless teachers unions are holding our children's education hostage. Who, how, where, when, why next? Our society, you know, has always hailed teachers as heroes, selfless, noble, courageous educators and caretakers of our children. The teaching profession was one of the few we were supposed to celebrate unquestioningly. Teachers were one of only a few professional groups we were meant to applaud simply for existing. Now, this attitude towards, towards really any profession at all was and is and has always been wrongheaded. Nobody is a hero merely for working in a certain occupation. I don't. So he would argue that firefighters aren't heroes. He would argue that uh, military servicemen aren't heroes. He would argue cops aren't heroes. Doctors? Doctors aren't heroes. Nurses? Hmm. Uh, but teachers apparently are especially at the bottom of the rung because they they accepted the job. They knew what they were getting into. There's no reason to call them heroes. They're not, you know, the first leaders in the thoughts of the generation of the future. No, they're people who accepted jobs. I don't care what the occupation is because they're getting paid. Whatever the line of work is, most people get into it because it's something they think they can do and they want to do. And they think they can make money doing it. It's not a bad reason to take on a job by any means. It's also not heroic. I mean, it's sort of a morally neutral motivation most of the time. Doing something because you want to do it and you think you're good at it doesn't make you a martyr or a saint. doesn't make you a bad person either. just makes you a person like the rest of us. So there are, there are good teachers, plenty of them, even heroic teachers. I've known some. But they aren't good or heroic simply for being teachers. And that's the distinction to keep in mind. The problem with adopting a romanticized view of any, any, any profession is that it makes it impossible to hold the people in that profession accountable or to criticize them when they deserve it. And this is exactly why this romanticized idea was cultivated in the per first place. That's funny that he doesn't even recognize that. Like, he's never used that argument for, like, the police unions, which, like, constantly fight for cops who use excessive force to keep their jobs. Um, so that's very fascinating that he'll direct that ire towards teachers unions who don't really actually like beat the shit out of people and wrongfully arrest them or perhaps kill them. Uh, but he'll do that for the, the, the police. The police union is integral to the to the, the workings of the police and it allows us to retain officers, which we need so badly. But when it comes to teachers unions, fuck them. 
It becomes especially problematic when we're talking about people who work so closely with and have such an influence over our children. You know, this should be cause for extra scrutiny, more accountability, louder criticism when warranted. Because the consequence of turning a blind eye or ignoring the bad things when your children are concerned could be catastrophic. The teachers' unions have made this situation so much worse, but worse, both by framing any criticism of teachers as an attack on the teaching profession, haranguing the public into turning that blind eye and ignoring the neglect or abuse of our children in the school system, which does happen and has always happened, and also by fiercely protecting the bad teachers while demanding ever more considerations and benefits and perks for all teachers, irrespective. See, it's the same thing with the police unions who, like, ostensibly have much more power than teachers, and he doesn't make this argument for them. Uh-uh. No. No, it's just for the teachers who need to get the fuck back to work. ...of their job performance. The whole situation is quite a mess, to put it mildly, and that mess has been thrown <laughs> into much sharper relief over the past nearly, what, a year now, when schools across the country have been shut down. It was, of course, known almost from the beginning, as we've talked about many times in the show, that there was no real reason to have schools shut down at all. To shorten the spread of coronavirus. To, to, to not have it spread as fervently as it would with uh, 30 children crammed, crammed in a classroom, constantly passing each other in the halls. You remember when the first schools opened, there was a video that went viral of a student who filmed their school showing that nobody was wearing masks. That there were no precautions put into place in order to protect the children or the teachers from catching coronavirus. Who would so, like ultimately spread it to the people they live with who may or may not also have, uh, you know, um, you know, um, vulnerabilities to the virus that could make it fatal. Um, that, that student ended up getting suspended for doing that in a country that is so about free speech. But as soon as it goes against the grain and hurts the uh, interests of a certain political party, well, then there needs to be accountability, apparently. Uh, but the the, te- the the student was later reinst- reinstituted because obviously that suspension was unwarranted and unjustifiable. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just very, very funny here that like for the longest time, the right wing will constantly say reopen the schools, but not argue for the fact that we need to have precautions or the necessary resources to do it safely. Just just reopen them and get those teachers back to fucking work as children are not likely to contract or spread the virus. And that's a false claim. That's a false claim right there, because uh, a study came out that children actually are a bit more infectious. They have more of the uh, proteins in in their throats, in their esophagus. So uh, the amount of virus that is actually cultivated in their systems and for the ability to spread is actually more prominent. They actually have more to give to everybody than anybody above the age of 25. So, um, you know, constantly bringing up this idea that kids are safe because they won't die uh, ignores everybody who's going to come in contact with those kids who spread the coronavirus. Became even clearer as time went on that the consequences of having the schools shut down and trying to replace them with Skype and Zoom sessions were dire. We talked yesterday about the child suicide epidemic in one of the largest school districts in the country, prompting a renewed push for classes to resume in person in that district. And yet still, the teachers' unions and many teachers themselves, though certainly not all, have demanded that schools stay shut, education be damned, the children be damned, goalposts keep moving. 
And there's no end to this process of goalpost shifting, as we have learned. Here's how bad it's gotten. The Washington Post has an editorial, um, an appropriately critical, even fiery editorial, about the teachers' union in Fairfax County and um, everything that teachers' union is doing to avoid going back to work. Let me read a bit. This is written by Rory Cooper, who's a, a parent to three students in the district. It says, quote, The Fairfax County school system demanded and then received high-priority placement for teachers and administrators to be vaccinated against the coronavirus. Those vaccines began a week ago, and according to the Fairfax County Public Schools Superintendent Scott Brabrand, um, yes, his name is Brabrand. Anyway, 5,000 teachers have received their first dose, and an additional 22,000 teachers are registered to receive their first dose soon. And yet, having jumped to the front of the vaccine line, Brabrand the FCPS school board and the, uh, I can't even say the last name without laughing. That's, you know, I should be in public school myself. Um, yeah, the F- and the, FC- the FCPS name. school board and the uh, teachers union are delaying opening schools. That raises the question of why they have the priority placement to, be- to begin with and whether these vaccinations should be immediately halted so that high-risk individuals or public servants who have been working outside of their homes for the entirety of the year have access. Okay, so let's not... Um, understate what's happened here. The teachers union engaged in a form of extortion, really, holding the education system hostage so that they themselves could get to the front of the vaccine line, butting in front of the elderly people, sick people, other high-risk people. Keep in mind that the average age of a teacher... I mean, his his idea of how like vaccine rollouts is uh, ignorant. Um, just because you're like, oh, we got to do all the teachers first, which means all the vaccines are taken up, but we can't give them to the rest of the vulnerable people. It's ridiculous. They're just trying to get up there as the first people to get them, such as nurses and senior citizens. They want to be considered in that category. To say that they're just shoving everybody out of the line is dumb. That's dumb. And he has no idea how vaccines, like, roll out work. So, teacher in the U.S. is 42. I'm reaching immaturity About 15% of teachers are under 30. Under 30. So these, by and large, are not high-risk people. Many of them have... Age is not the only indicator of high risk. If you have pre-existing conditions, that may also, too, put you into the high-risk category. If you live with people who have those pre-existing conditions, they, too, are in that higher-risk category. Him focusing on these individuals who should be putting their lives at risk because there's not much of a risk at all ignores a lot of context. And that, again, is just a part of them being able to move their segments and arguments further is if they ignore context. Little to worry about, even if they get sick. If you're 27... Even if you're a teacher and you get sick, you're probably going to be fine. Probably. So the statistics tell us. Then probably. Yet they were put to the front of the line. And after being given what they want, they still refuse to go to work. And when I say they, I mean the union. You know, we have to keep in mind, again, that there are plenty of individual teachers who oppose this, and vocally so, though not enough are being vocal to my mind. But it gets worse. But you know the vaccine doesn't stop the spread of the virus. It only helps in your own body's immune system to fight off the disease once it actually begins. So uh, the ability of people who have the vaccine or don't have the vaccine to spread the virus is still there. Um, And I think at this point, coronavirus is endemic. Like we're going to be dealing with it for the rest of time honestly. So what the focus should be is trying to reduce the amount of people who have it and how many people are spreading it. But again, we've dealt with a year of Trump's policies not doing that. And so we have to kind of reverse that course and it's going to be excruciating 
for everybody to do that because we should have done it at the very beginning for a long time, but we didn't. So here we are. First, listen to this. At the uh, January 21st school board meeting, Fairfax Education Association President Kimberly Adams said she received her first vaccine dose on January 14th, two days ahead of the scheduled start for school personnel. She has said that her union would not support a return to full-time education even in the fall. The fall, as in September 2021, nine months after she was vaccinated. The union says that all students must also be vaccinated. Adams also wants 14 days of zero community spread. Yes, she now wants the students to be vaccinated too. But kids, again, are a very, very low-risk group. Also, and this seems like a relevant problem, a little bit of a logistical issue here, there aren't any vaccines currently available for kids under 10, or rather under 14, actually. And her demand for two weeks of zero spread is a demand for schools to never resume ever. And yet these people still want to get paid, have been getting paid. I mean, that's that's a ridiculous claim because there's various like nations around the country that went days without community spread. And then like like uh, uh, what is it? New Zealand. They went a bit for uh, a, a while without community uh, spread and then started having like a dozen cases or so. So, I mean, it is possible, especially even nationwide, but it, it, it takes cooperation and unfortunately right-wing compromise. Um, so uh, him saying it's impossible is just to build the fact that like we need to open the schools or else we're never going to have our schools again. And it is unfortunate because the, the, the ones who are most likely to suffer the brunt of this are really low income poverty stricken kids, um, probably because they don't have the, the equipment to do remote learning. So, um, yeah, I, I am concerned because we aren't really putting the resources down to help the kids who are most vulnerable in this situation. But that, again, is a failure of responsibility of the leadership and not necessarily the teachers who want everybody to be safe when they return to the classrooms. But we're shifting that blame yet again. Shifting it. Fuck unions. They're demanding front of the line for the vaccine, full pay, full benefits, but without having to do their job. And uh, remote learning is still going on. And I'm, I, I have an article that we're going to read after he's done here to actually get some real news reporting on this um, because he's completely narrative steering here. Uh, he's been telling you what to think for the past six minutes and 39 seconds without delivering straight facts. He, he gives you uh, a little bit of like, here's what's going on. Now, here's what to think about it. And in fact, he kind of began this whole segment with like, here's what I think. And this is what's going on. Now, here's what to think about it. For a year now and counting, this is quite simply one of the greatest displays of cowardice and selfishness I have ever witnessed. And if you think I'm exaggerating, remember, again, that, that, that children are not learning anything th through Zoom class. Listen to the teachers themselves. And for that, when you make a claim like that, provide a source or a citation or a study that proves that Zoom has taught zero kids. Uh, that remote learning is completely ineffective. Please provide your work. They'll tell you. So the kids, their education is being stunted. And meanwhile, they're increasingly falling into depression and suicide. The teachers unions look at this and just shrug their shoulders. 
And that's the thing, too, is that part of my uh, radical extremist beliefs is that everybody should have a health care and alongside that health care access to therapy. Um, and it should be all ages because apparently even kids as young as like seven can start feeling very insecure about themselves. And I feel that we can, uh, stop a lot of school bullying and, uh, eventual suicides if we have them have the access to somebody who will talk to them off of the, uh, off the ledge. Um, and of course, like we need to have a much broader system of like daycare and taking care of kids or even, Hey, let's, uh, pay the the parents to not work so they can stay home and watch their kids while we shorten the spread of this pandemic, which has been killing 4,000 people a day. Hey, maybe that's a suggestion we could do. Canada's been doing it. I thought we were the wealthiest nation on the on the, on the globe. The only thing they care about, the Canadians. only thing, period, at all, is that they personally get the most amount of money and the most amount of benefits for doing the least amount of work possible. And that has always been the concern of the teachers. And that's how you get Republicans to turn on average American citizens, is you call them lazy. Call them lazy, and Republicans will eat them alive. ...union, always. And don't expect anybody in the current administration to speak up forcefully against this. The, uh, the Chicago's teachers' union is also refusing to return to work, even though a plan was put in place to open schools again. So the city wants to open the schools, but the teachers' union is saying, we're not going to go. They're stamping their feet and saying they're not going to go back to the schools because they're too afraid. Uh, I would say concerned for public health, but you can, you can easily without context, just move it as in, you know, like, oh, they don't care about anybody but themselves. You could easily do that. But that's the, this is the objective of unions is to bring all the workers together so that they have solidarity when they feel that there is an unjustifiable act either by their business or by the state. So strength in numbers and, uh, Matt Walsh hates unions and he specifically hates unions that don't do what he wants them to do. Uh, but police unions completely silent about it. He's not even going to bring it up ever. President Biden was asked about this yesterday and had a chance to stand up for, you know, the kids and for the education system. But instead, here was his answer. Right now, the Chicago Teachers Union has refused. They've defied an order to return to in-person classing for in-person classrooms because of a lack of vaccinations. Do you believe, sir, that teachers should return to schools now? I believe we should make school classrooms safe and secure for the students, for the teachers, and for the the help that's in those schools maintaining the facilities. We need new ventilation systems in those schools. We need testing for people coming in and out of the classes. We need testing for teachers as well as students. And we need the capacity, the capacity to know that in fact the sick of the circumstance in the school is safe and secure for everyone. For example, there's no reason why the clear guidance will be that every school should be thoroughly sanitized from the, from the laboratories to the hallways. And so this is about making, and none of the school districts that I'm aware of, there may be some public school districts, have insisted that all those pieces be in place. Yeah. Now, before uh, Matt Walsh tells you what to think, I'm going to tell you what I think. Uh, I don't really like Biden. I think he represents everything that has made people want to vote for Trump, vote for Trump. 
Now, with that being said, he did much better than Trump in that situation, is that he said, we need to build an infrastructure to uh, ensure the safety of the kids, teachers, and public health. Basically, what he said is that in order to reopen schools, we have to have an infrastructure that helps us also combat the coronavirus. Trump's answer to that question would have been a usual, just easy yes without saying that we need an infrastructure that will help us combat a pandemic. So whatever you're going to say, Matt Walsh, it's, it's weak. It's honestly basic, and it is unconcerned with actual lives in this country. There's his answer. What, what, what to talk about cowardice. That's the theme here. What an ab- Cowardice through leadership. Very fascinating to say that we need to actually ensure the safety is cowardice, even though that is specifically the state's job is to respect, protect and fulfill your human rights, which should mean going to school or the right to education without catching a virus that could kill your family members. Absolute coward. He had a chance to stand up or just reduce the chances of you catching the virus and giving it to your family members, subsequently killing them. Because like I said earlier, this is more likely to be endemic of a virus at this point, and people are going to continue to catch it well beyond 2020, uh, 2020 and 2021. This, this virus isn't going anywhere, thanks in part to Donald Trump's administration to do absolutely nothing. I mean, Democrats are terrified of teachers' unions, we know that. Uh, he had a chance to stand up and say, listen, Get back to work. The kids need you. Stop whining and get back to work. Yeah, that's brave. That's really brave to like not fully think out the consequences of opening schools without uh, uh, proper PPE or precautions. It's just it's so much braver just to tell everybody who has to risk their lives to just get the back to fucking work. Get back to work. Stop whining. You're, you're, you're a coward if you're not willing to get this virus and spread it to everybody you come in contact with. Coward. Instead, he talks about new... But of course, like, Matt Walsh isn't even putting his life at risk here. Like, he can work remotely if he wants to. He's a talking head in the internet. Like, this guy has nothing to risk with this new segment, and yet has the gall to call other people cowards. New ventilation, new ventilation systems? In all of the schools? What? In the whole country? Wouldn't that create jobs? <gasps> I think that would create jobs. That sounds like there, there's some work that needs to be done. And it actually benefits the children. If we could actually insert UV lights throughout the ventilation system that helps to kill coronavirus cells. What? But he's against that? He's against creating jobs for the safety of our children? Weird. Why? It, do they all even need it? What else do you want? Maybe we should demolish. Do we even need a tar sands oil delivery system? Do we need our children to breathe cleaner, better air when they are in our schools? Jesus Christ. The things that they will fight for and fight against. I cannot believe it sometimes. Polish all the schools and just rebuild them from scratch. Jobs. Just to be safe. Jobs. Yeah, there could be some leftover um, viruses in there or, 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 you know, you never know. There could be a virus hiding somewhere under a... A floor tile. So let's just let's just. Uh, I mean, he's being completely irrational to 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 say how irrational it is to redo the ventilation systems throughout our schools. But um, jobs, dude, that would create jobs. That would create work, and it actually comes to a net benefit for the uh, public safety.
So uh, get out of here with that basic bitch shit. Like, wow, dude. Wow. So when it comes time to actually uh, create jobs that will help us down the line, no, no. It doesn't generate profit. So no. Demolish them all. Or better yet, demolish them all and not rebuild them because, you know, we might as well if they aren't being used. The upshot here is that school will not return this year for millions of kids and probably not in the fall either. When all is said and done, millions of kids might end up missing two years of their education. And again, the root of that isn't the pandemic. The pandemic merely exacerbates the situation for a lot of people. The root cause of that, poverty. Kids don't have the resources to do remote learning. Their parents don't have the resources to stay home and help their children learn or do homeschooling or even have the, the, the level of compassion to do that. But for the most part, if you're a low-income family, you probably have both of your parents working jobs and cannot spend time with you, and that leaves you in a, I don't know, high-risk area for a lot of things. But if the government were to take upon itself to ensure that these families could stay home with their children, ensuring their education and safety, well then, that would be a pretty leadership role to fill. But that's not what he wants. The easiest route is to open schools and then stop looking at it because as long as the schools are open there's nothing to look at here missing one year is now the best case scenario think about that now for any kid whose parents took over and homeschooled they won't have missed anything in fact they're gonna be better off but most parents aren't doing that um, there are many parents who who can't do it because they still have to work. It's a it's amazing how many like cases he brings up without any studies or statistics to back up any of his argument. It's all just this like subjective perspective that we get from uh, Matt Walsh that doesn't have any base value in like studies, data, none of that. It's 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 all just on how he feels of this situation. And I you know I'm not saying that. I didn't do the same thing, but I just, you know, I just want to highlight here that he's not even really looking down other avenues for solutions. He's just merely saying open the schools because that's what you're supposed to do. Uh, and so those kids, millions of them, are simply going without. And that will now continue indefinitely because of the, the, the chronic, unadulterated, cowardice, self-interest, callousness, and laziness of the teachers unions and many of its members. It's as simple as that. Uh, all of those adjectives he used at the end are actually a part of his argument. He, he, he built an argument around cowardice because he doesn't want to do anything to actually ensure the safety of schools and also isn't willing to fight on the side of the teachers who are most likely paid like less than he is probably. Um, so his nastiness towards teacher unions and the safety of their health, um, it's, it's gross. It's gross. And honestly, he shouldn't be taken seriously for anything. Um, all right. How many views did that have? 6,000. Thank God. Woo! What's the top comment? So if our taxes pay for the upkeep of schools and kids are never to be allowed to go back to school, we ought not to have those taxes. We Ought we not have those taxes refunded to us? It's oh my God. I'm not even going to answer that. Oh, Jesus. Oh. All right. 
so after that, we're going to get like an actual uh, story here about the teacher strike. And it comes from WBEZ Chicago. It's an NPR uh, branch. And it comes from Sarah Carp. And it says, here's why CPS teachers won't show up Wednesday, that's today, and how that could trigger, uh, trigger a strike. So let's get, some, let's get some objectivity in this bitch. And it reads, the Chicago Teachers Union and Chicago Public Schools failed to reach a deal on school reopening, triggering plans for 14,000 school staff to refuse to report to schools on Wednesday and opening the door for a strike. This means that about 3,200 preschool and special education students who have been attending in-person classes for more than two weeks will again be at home Wednesday. As part of a Chicago Teachers Union's resolution passed by members over the weekend, CPS staff agreed to work remotely only starting Wednesday. Mayor Lori Lightfoot confirmed Tuesday evening that remote learning would continue for all students on Wednesday. This comes as CPS said it laid out a new comprehensive reopening proposal on Tuesday. So even the union is proposing how we can reopen. Like this this is what you call compromise and cooperation rather than saying stop whining, get back to work. Quote, we believe that our la our latest proposal to the union can serve as a foundation to a deal. Unquote, CPS CEO Janice Jackson, nice name, said Tuesday evening, noting beefed up provisions for testing, expanded options to work from home, and new metrics to pause instruction. Quote, frankly, there is no good reason why we shouldn't have an agreement at this time right now. Unquote. In a press release, the union called the proposal, quote, both unsafe and unacceptable. Unquote. CPS says it wants to continue to negotiate an agreement that protects its planned February 1st date for elementary students to return for in-person classes. The union, which wants the uh, that date pushed back, is asking for a mediator to step in to broker an agreement. Lightfoot said she is open to a mediator. Compromise and cooperation. Uh, the next segment, Will There Be a Strike, reads, The decision by CPS to go ahead with remote learning on Wednesday comes even though Jackson has said repeatedly that if, it, that if staff refuses to return to school buildings, she considers that a strike. While she has refused to clarify, the implication was that the school district would cancel lessons for all 280,000 students at district-run schools, including all students who are learning remotely. While this may seem like a drastic step, the city and school district may need to do this in order to try to get an injunction against why they deemed an illegal strike. However, this is not CPS's plan for Wednesday. But there's another way there could be a strike. If CPS blocks any staff from teaching remotely on Wednesday, CTU plans to respond with a strike beginning on Thursday morning with picketing outside school buildings. Despite the strike threat, both the union and the city tried to lower the temperature Tuesday evening. Quote, teachers, of course, we want you to be safe. Of course, our, our course, we take, uh, no, it's, it's, of course, we take your health and safe, safety incredibly seriously, Lightfoot said. But we need you to work with us. We need to talk with, to your leadership because we can't get there unless we get there together. And we need to get a deal done for our children, unquote. So, like, they're, they're working this out. They're compromising. So he's not, like, Matt Walsh made them sound much more stonewall than they actually are. Uh, why don't teachers and staff want to return? is the next segment, and it reads, Many fear contracting the virus at school, putting either themselves or a family member at serious risk. And I haven't even read this article yet. Like, it just, it honestly, most of this just comes from a place of empathy and compassion, which, it's, which seems to just be severely lacking from right-wing thought heads. 
All right, anyways. Teachers and staff acknowledge that other types of workers are staffing supermarkets and hospitals, but they point out that they have been teaching from home for 10 months and question whether the extra exposure is necessary. Teachers and staff also point out that only about a third of all parents are willing to bring their children into schools for in-person learning. Pause from the article here. That is something significant that uh, Matt Walsh failed to acknowledge, that a third of the parents also agree with the union. It may not be a two-thirds majority vote, but it's still important. It's still important. They are being told to teach both remote students and in-person students at the same time, which they worry will dilute the quality of education for both sets of students. But Lightfoot and Jackson insist that in-person learning is a necessary option. They say remote learning is not working for many students, and they risk of losing, quote, a whole generation of students, unquote. They also insist that schools are safe with the mitigation protocols they have put in place, arguing that early evidence shows school-based transmission of COVID-19 cases have been low. And that's probably because we've done a lot of remote learning. Hmm. Uh, that is the conclusion of a paper released by the CDC on Tuesday that reviews the range uh, of range of studies. So, I mean, it would have even behooved uh, Matt Walsh to bring up this study, but he doesn't work on data. So uh, I opened it in a separate segment here. Data and policy to guide opening schools safely to limit the spread of SARS COVID to infection. So there's this whole study by uh, jamanetwork.com. If you're interested, uh, check that out and get some objective data that isn't steered narratively. All right. So the next segment, where do CPS and the CTU part ways? Well, it reads, Though the union and the school district have been negotiating for months, there are still several key issues that separate them and are preventing them from reaching a reopening agreement. CPS's new proposal on Tuesday appeared to do little to move the needle. The union wants reopening delayed until staff are vaccinated. The CTU is increasingly focused on the fact that school staff are slated to get vaccinated starting mid-February. Leaders, uh, leaders want the school district to vaccinate teachers before ordering them back into schools. So... In CPS's proposal Tuesday, it offered to prioritize vaccinations for in-person school staff working in communities with the highest COVID-19 positivity rates, but it said it can't go farther than that. In a letter to parents, it said while it is prioritizing teachers in the phase that began on Monday, it, quote, cannot cast aside an equitable vaccination plan and deprioritize the needs of other deserving community members, unquote, and I agree. City public health officials have said schools are safe for staff without a vaccination and note that because of limited supplies, it will take months to get all staff their shots. The union also says that February 1st, the date that elementary school students are scheduled to return, is arbitrary. The union has been suggesting that the reopening be delayed and then phased in so that fewer teachers and, and staff are needed. The union wants more staff to be allowed to work from home, is the next segment, and it reads, A big argument has been over how many teachers and staff should be required in school buildings. The union wants staff to be able to volunteer to return, or at least a more liberal accommodation policy that allows for mo almost all staff to stay home if they have a medical concern or someone in their family who does. Up to now, CPS has left staff with qualifying medical conditions work at home, but has been far less willing to let staff work remotely who are fearful for themselves or for a family member with a higher risk of a COVID-19 complication. In its proposal Tuesday, CPS said it is guaranteeing remote accommodations for all staff who have conditions that put them at elevated risk if they contract COVID-19 or who are the primary caregivers for family members who are at 
increased risk. It also said, quote, the district is working to provide as many additional accommodations as possible, unquote. The CTU says it wants telework available for the vast majority of staff with household members who are at high risk. The union points out that few staff are needed because in the first group of students offered an in-person learning, only 19% participated. And only about 37% of parents of elementary school students, the second group scheduled to begin Monday, said they were considering bringing their children back. But the school district is trying to balance these concerns with the need to have teachers in schools with students. Even with a small percentage of students going into classes, matching teachers and other staff with classes is difficult. The next segment, the union wants metrics in place to dictate when schools close and reopen, reads, the union's current official proposal is for schools to reopen when the positivity rate falls below 3% or when there are less than 400 new cases daily. So it's not zero. Very nice addition there, Matt. Union leaders acknowledge that this is likely too optimistic. After all, Chicago hasn't had a 3% positive rate since early spring. However, the union says there must be some standard for when the spread is so intense that schools can't be open. On Tuesday, CPS proposed that in-person learning may be suspended at all schools if surveillance testing t reaches 3%. If the district reaches that level, a joint CPS-CTU committee would make a recommendation to the CPS CEO and CTU president to determine if in-person classes should stop. CPS had backed off having a positive rate positivity rate this summer, saying public health officials no longer recommend it. The school district says the public health department recommends a measure that looks at how many days it takes for positivity rates to double. The next segment is the union wants more testing. So they even like most of this even agrees with what Joe Biden had proposed is that we take leadership roles to to figure out what is the best solution to reopening schools and not just reopening them. That's me leading the thought there, being very obvious about it, but I just want to highlight here that it's not in the same way that Matt Walsh did, which was ignore a lot of context, which is actually in this article, which doesn't take a side. It doesn't take a side. It's literally merely letting you know what the CPS, the CTU, and the, 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 the city itself are trying to do in order to reopen the schools. All right, so the, the, the next segment and final segment of this article is the union wants more testing. The union would like all staff to get COVID-19 tests, ideally each week, in recent days, leadership has mentioned the need for more baseline testing and for students to get tested. On Tuesday, the school district boosted its plans to test all staff from once to twice a month. The school district is also offering to test up a 25% of staff each week. It also offered to begin testing students for the first time. It proposed monthly testing for students who attend schools in 10 zip codes with the highest COVID-19 positivity rates. And that's where the article ends. So a whole bunch of context there left out by Matt Walsh purposely because it allows him to create his segment that there's just a bunch of whiny teachers who are blocking your children from going to school when it's a collaboration between the teachers union, the school district, and the city in order to ensure that schools are reopened in the most safe manner possible. If you think that is cowardly, then you have absolutely no leadership in your bones and should not be steering political thought where leadership and action is necessary. But that is only a Tox News perspective, and I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with the Theory Thursday Chapter 3 of Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind by Yuval Noah Harari. 
Hopefully we'll keep making dents in that throughout the year. I've got it. I've got it set up for tomorrow. Let's do it. Uh, other than that, rate, like, subscribe, review, uh, share, the, uh, follow me on Twitter at ToxinPod, T-O-X-N-P-O-D. And uh, I'm going to do a little bonus episode of this Unite America First it's not going to be included in this, so uh, look out for that episode when it when it pops up. It's going to be a little bonus that we're just going to lightly brush over the fringe elements of the right-wing party. And that has been it. I hope you have a beautiful, wonderful, radical existence. Catch you next time.